Uh, well, you might have noticed if you looked at your bulletin that we're, gonna, we're not going to be in Romans 8 today. And I wanted to take uh, just a couple of weeks, a step away from it for a couple of weeks, and talk to you about uh, prayer and fasting. Uh, today I want to talk about prayer and a certain kind of prayer in particular, and next time I want to address fasting. And, um, you know, this, I felt led to do this from the Lord uh, through a brother and providential circumstances, and so I'm going to just say, okay, follow the Lord's leading, what I believe is the Lord's leading. Um, in Romans 8, just if you remember, what we get is we get a high theology and high view of who God is, right? God is, we just talked about it two weeks ago. Uh, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I talked about the absolute sovereignty of God, that he is sovereign over everything. Um, and this is good and right, and it, and it ought to inspire and fuel prayer rather than dampen or put out the light or fire of prayer. However, if we become imbalanced in our emphasis, it can do the latter rather than the former. If we're imbalanced in our em- emphasis, it can, uh, this view of, th- talking about this view of God, that he's sovereign, he's in control, he's, he's working everything for good, it can dampen our desire for prayer. We think, well, okay, then he's just going to do what he's going to do. Um, but it shouldn't do that. It actually should, it should drive us to pray more because we recognize that God really is all-powerful. I remember hearing John Piper once say, when somebody asked him, if God is sovereign, why pray? And his answer is just fantastic. I, was, I heard this like 10 years ago. I, that, I'm going to take that, remember it the rest of my life, I hope. He said, if he's not, why pray? Why pray if God isn't all-powerful? He can't do the things we might want him to do. But he is. He's powerful, he's mighty, and so we ought to pray. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take uh, this morning and look through a pretty well-known parable, I think. Probably most of you, maybe all of you have heard this before, or have read it before, and um, it's out of Luke chapter 18, so you can follow along in your bulletin. I'm going to read this, verses 1 through 8. Actually, why don't you stand with me as I read God's word? Luke 18, 1 through 8 says this. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and accepting to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, the point of this parable is 
unambiguous. It's really clear. And actually, I'm really thankful for that. We don't have to wonder what Jesus is getting after here. The conclusion is crystal clear, okay? Verse 1, Jesus, actually Luke, the narrator, says, And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus told them this parable so that his disciples and all of his disciples since then would always pray and would not lose heart. And this, this first verse answers two basic questions. First, when should we pray? And second, how should we pray? So when should we pray, brothers and sisters? Always. We heard this last week, right? Reed touched on this last week. We have all probably heard someone say, maybe you've said this before, well, we've tried everything else. Let's pray. As though, I guess prayer is a last resort. For Christians, it ought to be every, the first resort and every resort. Even as we're pursuing other things, we ought to always be praying. Luke says that Jesus told his disciples this parable to the effect that they, they ought always to pray. Always pray. Again, last week, Reed unpacked for us 1 Thessalonians 5, verses, 15, or verses 16 through 18, which says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Praying without ceasing, brothers and sisters, is God's will for us. To pray always. And when we come to realize the immense privilege we have as God's children and the responsibility that we have as his ambassadors, incessant prayer makes sense, right? If we don't have this privilege, if prayer is only for the super, 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 super spiritual, whoever those people are, or we don't have the responsibility as ambassadors, well, then let's pursue other avenues. But if those things are true, then we pray, the privilege is ours as God's children. He invites us to come. We have responsibility as his representatives on the earth, and so we ought to pray always. Not only that, but when we come to discern the access we have to God because of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He's at the Father's right hand. He's our high priest. He always intercedes for us. He's there on our behalf. We may draw near to God through him. Why wouldn't we pray? Why wouldn't we pray? And recognizing the Holy Spirit dwells within us who helps us to pray and empowers us to pray. So why wouldn't we? So brothers and sisters, when should we pray? We should always pray. The second question this first verse answers is how should we pray? It says again, Jesus told them this parable so that to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. How should we pray? We should pray with energy. We should, and I, I, of course, I don't mean necessarily outward physical energy, but spiritual energy. Jesus told this parable so that they would pray always and pray without losing heart. Now, there's a good reason why Jesus wants us to not lose heart in our prayers. Does anyone ever lose heart in praying? Have you ever? Just a couple of us. Okay, have you ever lost heart in praying? Praying. It's like you pray and you pray and you're seeking the Lord and you're asking him for help and, 
and he seems to not be answering, and so we lose heart. And so Jesus said, pray always, and don't lose heart. The phrase to lose heart means to be exhausted, to be weary, to faint. In fact, I think the King James says, always pray and faint not. Um, To lose heart means to be spiritless. And so the opposite of that is to pray with an indomitable spirit, to pray with energy, to pray and not faint in our praying, to pray always with spirit. James tells us that a certain kind of prayer accomplishes much in James chapter 5. And the kind of prayer that accomplishes much is the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. In other words, the sleepy, uh, lackadaisical prayer does not accomplish much, but fervent, effectual prayer certainly does of those who walk with Christ. And so, when should we pray? We should always pray. How should we pray? We should pray without fainting, without losing heart. But it's actually the parable itself that I think gives legs to what this looks like and I think is really instructive. And so I just want to take the rest of our time and just look at the actual parable itself, well, most of our time, and look at the parable itself This is a parable specifically about what I would call petitionary prayer. So it's not just prayer, um, you know, not just prayer described as talking to God. I mean, that is part of prayer. We just talk to God, right? But Jesus' teaching here is specifically on petitionary prayer, coming to God and asking him to do things for us. Coming to God and asking him to deliver us, to help us, to save us, to work on our behalf, to intervene. John Stites, when he prays, he uses that word intervene often. Sorry, John, for picking on you. And I love that. It's not a word I use unless I hear him say it. But that's what petitionary prayer is. Father, intervene. Come and intervene. Come and deliver. I just read Psalm 107 Friday morning. And there's this remarkable pattern in Psalm 107. Uh, and I encourage you to read Psalm 107 later because it really is about what we're talking about today. The beginning of the psalm says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed out of trouble. And then four different times, it uses the same exact wording in each of these verses. And it says God's people were in trouble, sometimes due to their own sin, And then we see four times, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Psalm 107, verse 6, verse 13, verse 19, verse 28. So the entire psalm is a reminder of the goodness and steadfast love of the Lord to his redeemed people, the people whom he has redeemed out of trouble. And so Jesus tells us this parable in which we may come to God and petition and ask him to, to, to work on our behalf, to rescue us, to deliver us, to save us from our trouble. And so in this parable um, on petitionary prayer here in Luke 18, I think we see two things. First, the essence of petitionary prayer, what I'd call the essence of it, and second, the execution of it. So the essence, what is petitionary prayer? And the second is the execution of it. How do we practice this? How do we go about doing it? What does this uh, parable show us in that regard? So first, the essence of petitionary prayer. Now, 
I'm going to use a phrase that I read in, in an article probably 10 years ago. And probably a lot of what I say, even though I haven't read that article for a while, is going to come from what I read in that because it was so helpful at the time. A theologian named David Wells said, petitionary prayer in its essence is rebelling against the status quo. You got that? Petitionary prayer is pushing back. It's rebelling against the status quo. So petitionary prayer is rebellion. Okay, not just rebellion, but rebelling against the status quo. And here's what I want you to see in this parable. The woman refused to accept her injustice. Verses 2 and 3, it says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. I think right there, is the essence of petitionary prayer. The woman refused to accept her plight. She refused to accept her injustice. And I think if we're going to pray, as this parable teaches us, we ought to refuse to accept the world and all of its fallenness and how it affects us. We recognize God is sovereign. God is the providential governor of the universe. We get that. We understand that. But how does he want us to live on the ground? We trust him for sure. And then we live in light of how he wants us to live with how things are. And so we refuse to accept the world and its fallenness. We rebel against the status quo. And I think this applies to our lives on a personal level. Whether it be our own sin, maybe it starts there. Rebelling against the status quo. Seeking God to deliver us from our own sin that we still battle. I think this applies in our families, rebelling against the status quo, just continuing to do things as we've always done it, even though it dishonors God. I think this applies to our community, to our church, this church, to the church, and I think it applies to our nation and to the world. You can kind of move, right, concentric circles, starting with yourself and moving outward. This applies in every one of those spheres. Just on a personal level, in James chapter 5, we hear the instruction, is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Now this is James who in chapter 1 said, count it all joy when you endure trials of various kinds, including suffering. But then here in chapter 5 he says, anyone suffering? Let him pray. Presumably for deliverance, for help. For God's salvation, for healing. And it's in this context that we hear the well-known verse, uh, which I always want to say it in the King James because I heard it so much in the King James growing up, right? The fervent, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, accomplishes much. Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to bring petitions to God. In fact, have you noticed the entire Lord's Prayer? It's all petitions. It's all coming to God and asking God to to do things. Well, except that one phrase that is at the end. It's not in all the manuscripts, so it's not in every English translation, but, you know, where it says, for yours is the kingdom, power, and glory, and so forth. But the rest of the prayer is full of petitions. Father in heaven, 
Hallowed be your name. That's the first one. Father, may your name be hallowed. Your kingdom come. Father, may your kingdom come. Your will be done. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These are all petitions. These are all asking God to come and work on our behalf, on behalf of his people, for the sake of his own glory. And we ought to pray like that. We ought to come to God with petitions. David Wells wrote that petitionary prayer flourishes when we are convinced that God's name is hallowed, excuse me, that God's name is not hallowed enough, that God's kingdom has come too little and that his will is done too infrequently, and when we believe God can change that. So, Right? Petitionary, the essence of petitionary prayer, we, you push back, you rebel against the status quo, and you recognize, okay, not only am I rebelling against the status quo, this is not right, but then we realize, okay, God can change this. So if petitionary prayer rebels against the status quo, it means we need to recognize the status quo. We need to recognize what isn't Right? We need to have clarity on how things have gone awry from God's original intent and push back against it, whether that's darkness, sin, evil, injustice, sickness, whatever it may be, we rebel against it. We pray, God, intervene. God, we call upon you to do something in this situation. We sing the words during the Christmas season, and I love this. I really do. He comes to make his blessing flow. You guys know how the rest goes? As far as what? As far as the curse is found. Jesus Christ came. And that's right when he came on the scene. He came proclaiming the kingdom of God. And and he brought blessing wherever the curse was found. Of course, not everyone accepted what he had clearly. But he came to make his blessing flow as far as the curse is found. Of course, we understand that it will be at Christ's second coming when his kingdom comes in its fullness and the effects of the curse will be completely, completely reversed. But brothers and sisters, his kingdom has come and we are to pray that it comes more and more even now. I heard somebody recently say, Jesus didn't say, your kingdom go but your kingdom come when he taught us to pray. Jesus, we see see in the Gospels that Jesus went about proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. In fact, that's that's an exact phrase in Matthew, Matthew's Gospel. He, He proclaimed and brought the kingdom. He preached repentance and faith. He taught the ignorant And then he also cast out demons and healed the sick and raised the dead and cleansed lepers and destroyed all the works of the devil. And when this truth of the kingdom permeates our thinking, we will pray accordingly and we'll say, okay, this is not how things ought to be in my life, in my home. Whether it be be something seemingly as small as a bad attitude, a problem of complaining, start there. Rebel against that. 
Say, no more. God, deliver me from this. Help me to put this to death. And then, whether it be our homes, certainly our church, we want God to work in that way, to intervene. When this truth permeates our thinking, we pray accordingly. We will pray for the king to exercise his power and dominion and destroy the works of the devil. So the essence of petitionary prayer, I think, in this, in this parable is rebelling against all that is wrong in our lives, in our families, in our city, our nation, and so forth. And then we also see the execution of petitionary prayer. And the execution of petitionary prayer is this. Petitionary prayer that we learn in this parable is it perseveres. It persists. Verse 3, it says, there was a widow in that city who kept coming. She just kept coming. Verses three or 4 and 5, excuse me, verses 4 and 5, it says, for a while the, the judge refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. The woman persevered or persisted in her case before the judge. She didn't take no for an answer. She didn't relent until she received what she sought. And I think this is really important. Of course, God is not an unjust judge who's withholding good things from us out of malintent or anything like that. And so we don't come to God demanding or we don't come with a bossy attitude. We don't boss God around or anything like that. We just know he's our God and Father. He's a righteous judge. Nevertheless, we need to remember that this is Jesus teaching us to pray always and to pray without losing heart. He's the one that tells us to learn something from how the woman in the parable kept coming and pleading her case. Jesus is teaching this. Jesus, the, the sovereign God, is teaching this. And this is not the only time Jesus teaches on persevering prayer. In Luke 11, he tells another parable. <clears throat> and it's about, a, it's about a man who goes to a, a, a neighbor, a friend who's a neighbor. And he goes to him at midnight. And he calls out to his friend, like probably you know, through the window or something, and says, hey, give me bread. I have someone coming into town. I don't have anything to set before them. And the man inside says, hey, I'm in bed. I got my family. We're all sleeping. Just I can't get, get up and give it to you. The man outside keeps asking, keeps pressing, keeps pressing. And eventually the guy inside gives him what he asks for. And Jesus tells us the lesson of the story. He says, though he will not give up, get up and give him what he asks for because he's his friend, he will do it because of his impudence or persistence or perseverance. It wasn't because of their friendship. It's because the man wouldn't take no, he would not take no for an answer. He kept coming. He kept persisting. And then Jesus jumps out of the parable and tells us this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. But it's interesting. I remember reading a commentary some, some time ago. I think it I can't remember which one it was, so I won't guess. But it, the commentator was saying that more literally, those verses say, keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep seeking, and you will find. Keep 
knocking and the door will be opened. For everyone who keeps asking receives and to, to the one who keeps seeking he will find and the one who keeps knocking to him the door will be opened. In other words, ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. People used to use the phrase um, praying through. Ever heard of that phrase? Praying through, okay? So not giving up, but praying through. I think that the Puritans used to say something like pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. I think it communicates the same thing. You pray and you pray and you keep praying and you pray until you pray. You pray through. There was a man who lived um, about 100 years ago. I think he died about 100 years ago, actually. His name was R.A. Torrey. He was, he was connected with D.L. Moody. Uh, I think he was, like, he was the second. He was one of the first presidents of Moody Bible Institute. Really a uh, godly man who had a lot of great things to say on, specifically on prayer. At least I benefited from him on prayer. Here's what he said. He said, oh, men and women, pray through Pray through. Don't just begin to pray and praise a little and throw up your hands and quit, but pray and pray and pray until God bends the heavens and comes down. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn or relearn or we need to learn to pray like this. To always pray and to not lose heart. To rebel against the status quo and not let go of God until he blesses us. Now, here's a question I have. I wonder if you're thinking this too. Maybe you're not, but I kind of think you should. Why, why does Jesus tell us to continue to pray and to continue praying? Why is persevering prayer apparently effective. And here's, here's the other side of it. Couldn't God just answer our prayers the first time? Could he? I hope everyone says, of course, yes, he could. Doesn't he know everything that we need and want? He knows everything that we need and want, right? Isn't God omnipotent, all-powerful? Isn't he omniscient? He knows everything. Isn't he all-present? Isn't he everywhere? Isn't God totally sovereign? Right? Psalm 115 says, Our God sits in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. All of this, yes, it's all true. Then why? Why are we called to pray and persevere in prayer? And, and apparently that is the kind of prayer, especially that Jesus says God will bless. The reason I'm asking this question is because I don't think we need to adopt a lower sub-Christian view of God in order to pray this way. That somehow God isn't as powerful as we would like to think he is or somehow God is not sovereign or somehow God does not have the end from the beginning known in his thoughts and even declared in his intentions. This parable and, the te- and, and teaching as well as the entire Bible assumes that God, the God we actually pr- that we pray to can actually do the things we ask him to do. So why are we called to pray this way? And so I thought about that a lot this week. It's just the way, probably the way my mind works. I'm kind of, a, I'm a theology guy. I mean, I just, I think like, how does that fit? And I'm not saying we can fit everything together. I don't think we can. But there's a couple things that came to my mind that I think is true 
Why does God want us to pray in this way? Though he could answer our prayer immediately, he could answer our prayer without us even asking. He knows. Here's a couple of reasons, I think. First, God loves to give us victory through battles. In the New Testament, we hear the metaphor of battle and warfare and us being soldiers quite often. In the Old Testament, there's literal warfare throughout. So warfare is a theme in Scripture. God's people fighting God's enemies. And there are times in the Bible when God just works unilaterally and just wipes his enemies out. Like I'm thinking of like, 2 Kings 19, when the Assyrians are besieging or coming up against the city of Jerusalem and Hezekiah is scared and the prophet Isaiah says, don't worry. And what does God do? He sends an angel of the Lord into the camp of the Assyrians and 185 of them, 185,000 of them are routed. But then often God triumphs over his enemies by Sending his people, we see in the Old Testament, sending his people to the battlefield and fighting. And this is key. Either way, God is the one who gives the victory. Whether it is unilaterally, I mean, think you probably, it's hard for us to imagine, but I I think there are countless times God has delivered us and spared us from things we didn't even know were dangerous to us. We just had no idea. Whether a physical danger, like you were about ready to walk in the road and get smacked by that dump truck, or some spiritual danger, or anything. The danger from some other person who wanted to harm you. God has probably delivered us countless times from things. We just had no idea. And then we all could tell stories of how God delivered us through battle. Prayers, we prayed and sought the Lord and sought to walk in his ways and then he brought deliverance. Ephesians 6.12, we know this passage well, this whole section. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now I think it's interesting, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I think it's Leonard Ravenhill said about prayerless people, we don't wrestle. <laughs> but it doesn't stop there. Right? We don't wrestle about, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then, of course, Paul goes into put on the full armor of God and do battle. Put on the armor of God and go to war. And then do you know how that section ends, the, the, the full armor of God, that section? Pray, pray. Pray and pray. Four times. Paul says, put on the armor of God and pray, 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 pray. Colossians 4.12 says that Epaphras served the Colossian Christians by always struggling. I think the New American Standard says, always wrestling on their behalf in his prayers that they may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So this is one way God loves to give us victory, persevering in prayer. And so we pray, always. We don't lose heart. We engage in the battle of prayer. We get on our knees and we, right, we sing that song, so when I fight, I will 
fight on my knees with my hands lifted. Hopefully we're praying too, right? Singing and praying and seeking God. But I think there's another reason why we're called to persevere in prayer when God could clearly answer our prayers in a moment. And I'm not, I'm not exhausting. There might be other reasons too. I just thought of, one, thought of two for this morning. But here's the other reason. The perseverance and endurance that we gain when we persist in prayer is a great blessing to us. Let me say that again. The perseverance and endurance that we gain when we pray always and don't lose heart, that is a great blessing to us. Perseverance, endurance is a glorious quality that God wants to work in us. In fact, it is such a glorious quality. James 1 says, count it all joy when you endure trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. And let perseverance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured hostility from sinners so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. We need perseverance and endurance, and one of the ways we grow in it is when we endure and persevere in prayer. We pray always, and we don't lose heart. Sometimes the trials that we meet are not the only things we need deliverance from, are, are, not, are not the only things that are trials. Sometimes the trial is persisting in prayer without having yet received the answer. God is doing a work even while we ask and seek and knock. He's always doing a work. He's always doing a work. Well, Jesus ends the instruction from this uh, parable by giving us hope and, um, and also a challenge, I think, in verse 8. First, we see hope in verses 6 and 7. Here's what Jesus said. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you. He will give justice to them speedily. When we pray in this way, rebelling against the status quo, right, pushing back against all that is not right. Remember that song? We sing the song at Christmas, the, the wrong shall fail, the right prevail. So we recognize things are wrong. We push back against that. Our ultimate hope is in Christ, making everything right. But even as we live in this world and seek to be faithful to Christ, we want to rebel against all that is wrong in our lives, in our families, and so forth, okay? And we persist in our request to God. Here's what Jesus said. He will answer. He will answer. He will give justice. He will deliver. He will intervene. God will do it. That's the hopeful expectation we have in prayer. We understand that there are times when our prayers are not answered in the way that we want, or at the time we want, God's ways are not ours. Neither are his thoughts our thoughts. His ways and thoughts are infinitely higher than ours. 
but we do what we're called to do. Pray always and faint not in the hope that God will hear and answer. Uh, John Quincy Adams, I think he was like the sixth president or something, fifth or sixth, if I remember right. He, uh, he was president, and after his, I don't know if he had one or two terms, anyway, it doesn't matter. He served in the House of Representatives for the state of Virginia, I think, uh, for about 25 years. He was an ardent abolitionist of slavery. He hated slavery, thought it was evil. He wanted to see it abolished. Not, 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 just, not, not just kind of managed, but abolished. And so he put forth these bills year after year to see, ab- the abolition, to see slavery abolished in America. And someone once asked him, why do you keep putting these bills forward when you know they're not gonna pass? And his answer is great. I actually think it's kind of a motto for life. He said this, the duty is ours. The results belong to God. And I love that. What are we called to do? The duty is ours. We don't don't have control over the results. The results belong to God. The duty is ours. We're called to pray always and not lose heart. But, I believe God's children should often experience answers to our prayers. I really do. I think we ought to experience often answers to our prayers. And, and I think, honestly, I think if we don't, maybe there's a couple things. Maybe our prayers aren't really very specific at all. We're not really asking for anything. We're just kind of talking to God in vagaries and so forth. We ought to come to God with specific prayers. But it could also be that we're not persisting in prayer. We should pray always and not lose heart. Then we get to verse 8 and hear what I think ought to challenge us. It, it kind of, when I read verse 8 at the end, you know, it kind of arrests me like, whoa. Here's what verse 8 says. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, without getting into eschatology systems or anything like that, okay? I'm not, we're not going there. Like when the Son of Man comes, we're not, that's not really the point I want to park on in this last verse, all right? The thing that I think we need to ask is what kind of faith is Jesus talking about here? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on, on the earth? What kind of faith is he talking about here? Because whatever faith it is, it's the kind of faith we want. I don't think Jesus is talking about saving faith. Like, I don't think Jesus is saying, when the Son of Man comes, are there going to be Christians on the earth? I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what Christ is talking about is faith that's demonstrated through perseverance. This is a parable about faith-filled prayers. Faith perseveres. Knowing who God is, trusting him, believing all that the scriptures teach us about who he is, which of course we want to grow in that, but trusting all of this and we continue to pray and trust our Father and seek him. I think what Jesus is talking about is, is faith that's again demonstrated by not losing heart in our prayers, by persisting in prayer. 
faith-filled prayers that rebel against the status quo and persevere until God brings deliverance, until God brings the help that we need. Do you need any help today? We all need help, no doubt. Well, I hope it goes without saying that, you know, Jesus is in this... uh, in this parable, it's uh, an unjust judge who, you know, um, gives the blessing, if you will, or justice to this widow. I hope it goes without saying that our God is not an unjust judge. He is the Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ, He is your Father who delights to welcome you to Himself. To, to pour out your heart to him, to ask and to keep asking, to seek and to keep seeking, to knock and to keep knocking. He is your father who delights to give what is good to his children in answer to such prayers. He delights to give what is good to his children. Matthew seven eleven. Every parent here, we love our kids. We're imperfect, but we want to give our kids good things right? I mean, sometimes a good thing is a toy. Sometimes a good thing is a spanking. Sometimes, whatever. I mean, we want to give our kids good things. We want to give them what's good for them. Listen to what Jesus said. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give what is good to his children? Think about that. How much more Right? He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. You like to give good things to your children. You want to. You want to bless them. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to his children? And so we're to pray. And we're to pray always. We're to ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. And pray and pray and pray and never lose heart because of who our God is. He's our Father He's purchased us by the blood of Christ. He's in, he's, he has poured his spirit into our hearts. His love has been poured into our hearts through the spirit. And so we pray and we pray and we don't lose heart. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your...